0: New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, and after you find that, find the Gospel of Luke and uh, chapter 4. So both have chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. I would encourage you to write some things down and take some notes. I think that this will, will help you and give you some things to remember. When I began my My ministry in September of 1977, I was thrust into it. I saw one of my friends this past week. We went with uh, my granddaughter this past Thursday. She had a a grandparent's breakfast at her school. I saw one of my high school teammates there that was also there with one of his grandchildren. And we were recounting uh, God's kindness to us. He's a pastor now in Athens, Alabama. And uh, we were just talking about how God had worked in our lives. And he told me he had gotten an email from one of his old teammates. He said, I never imagined that you would ever end up being a preacher. And he said, I really didn't know how to take that. I said, oh, it's a compliment. And I said, I, I still can't believe I, I am. God takes our our, our weakness and, and, and kind of magnifies that. But one of the ways that I knew that uh, I was supposed to be in the ministry, there are several of those, I suppose. But as I had a I had a burden to in, in a love for the Word of God. I think that all of God's children have that, a thirst to know the Word of God, know the God of the Word. But I wanted to to teach the Bible, not not to be an expert to lecture on the Bible. That wasn't it. But I wanted to help people and. Uh, and to, to get into the Bible and learn some things and share what I had uh, God had given to me I had taught some uh, kind of substitute Sunday school classes and things like that and evening classes and uh, ended up realizing that well I had a capacity for that and then uh, had some classes in Bible college there and started out as a major in music, and then changed my major to Bible, because I really sensed that this is what God had called me to do. So I loved the Bible, and I, I felt like God wanted me to share those things. But there was a second thing. So I not only loved the Bible, but I, I loved people. And God had, had called me to to shepherd people, specifically uh, young people, and with a bent towards families. And now, after all these years, I guess uh, 42 years ago, uh, this month, as it were, uh, I have more confidence in the Bible. I've always believed that the Bible was true, and the Bible has the answer. still believe that. But I have more confidence in the Bible, and I still love people. I still have that desire to want to encourage them and to, to shepherd them, but I also have a a uh, a capacity I don't know how to express this to to sense their burdens almost like a magnet, sometimes in an unhealthy way, and to absorb that, go to sleep with it, and carry it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I think pastors do that sometimes. And so those those two things have kind of stayed with me uh, all through the years. It's a good thing, I guess. One of the characteristics of a of a local church of of a Bible believing church is that a Bible believing church ought to be a place of bearing burdens. That when you come to a church, that uh, it's not just a teaching center. It's not just a a place of lectures. And I said at the outset, you know, I hope you'll write some things down. But where people pull their notebooks out and they write some things down. But it, it's, a, it's a place of, of fellowship. It's a place of community. It's a place of brothers and sisters uh, bearing burdens. I read uh, this past week about my, my friend Price Harris, who had gone back to see uh, one of his mentors that had encouraged he and his wife and he had worked with this man in the ministry, and uh, now he is uh, uh, not far from heaven. Uh, he's not bedridden, but he he's not far from heaven, and he's losing his memory some. And Price has a very uh, great love for this man, and as well as Anne. And uh, after he spent some time with him and so forth, uh, they gathered to pray, and uh, this man, this older man, and Price is in his late 70s, so this dear brother probably in his late 80s. He began to, to sing uh, the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, which Price had recorded on one of his albums when the song first came out in the, the 70s, early 70s. And then he began to sing the first verse and then the chorus and then the second verse. And Price said, I, I tried to sing, I, I sang it with him, but I, I barely got it out. My, my heart was touched. After all of these years, you know, he had kind of carried my burdens, and now I'm kind of carrying his at, at the end of his life. Someone had sent a picture years ago that spoke to me deeply of John Wooden, the, the head basketball coach of the University of California Los Angeles, we call it UCLA. Probably the greatest basketball coach that ever lived. I won't go down that trail and share some things with you. But the most famous player he ever coached was Lou Alcindor. And uh, he, it was during his playing days, and uh, John Wooden was walking beside him, tall and straight, and, and he's looking... And Cinder's like seven foot three. You know, he's real tall, towering over him. You can tell him, of course, he's, Coach Wooden's much shorter, kind of coaching him, talking to him. And, uh, and the basketball player is listening intently, a very articulate man. He's a writer, if you ever read anything he's written. And uh, so he's listening to his coach. And then they had another picture beside that. It touched me so deeply. It still does as I share it with you. Some of you have seen it probably. Decades and decades later, where the, the roles are reversed. And now John Wooden has stooped shoulders. His hair is white. He's gained weight. And uh, he's not as tall as he used to be. And he's, you can tell, he's kind of shuffling along. And they're still in the same positions and the basketball players on the same side. And he's been in the NBA, but now he's retired. He's in business on his own. But now the basketball coach is not coaching him anymore. He's just trying to walk. And the man that he mentored now has his arm in the crook of his coach's arm walking with him, helping him to walk. And I just remembered that, that picture and I thought about uh, kind of the circle of life and how that works with our parents and how that works with uh, the people that have poured into us. And that uh, at one time they feed us and they teach us and they sacrifice for us. And then the, the time comes... When the tables turn. When they can't hear. And um, you begin to, to take care of them. It touched me deeply. The local church ought to be a place of bearing burdens. But even better, listen, even better than that. Better than having a a local church that bears burdens we have a savior that carries our burdens you know i think sometimes we talk about the church being a place that bears burdens and and she ought to be but it's a place that bears burdens because we have a we have a savior the lord jesus that bears our burdens but there's something even better and this is kind of the theme i want to give you this morning and, and next week god willing Is that He heals the wounds from our burdens? That the Lord Jesus Christ heals us. You know, one of the advantages of having an an older pastor is that uh, the experiences uh, that He's gone through. I hope that when I was younger, I wasn't idealistic. I'm sure I was in some ways. Someone said that in youth we learn, but in age we understand. But life is is very, very hard. And uh, inevitably, it's good too. There's sweet places. Don't misunderstand. They're not being cynical. But it's very difficult. And uh, with all of the bumps inevitably come sorrow, pain, and hurt. But I want you to listen to me. Some of you need this this morning. But in the middle of all of that, and some of you are there, some of you are at the end of it, some of you have dealt with this in decades and you've never reconciled. And I hope you'll come back next week. I know I haven't finished this message, but I'll tie it together next week. Only the Lord Jesus can heal you and and if you do not listen if you do not give your pain and your brokenness to him it's just going to get worse you can be a christian you can know christ and go to heaven all of us have broken places in our life but he wants to heal those broken places one of the things i've learned you've heard this before but it's true is that hurting people hurt people it's true hurting people hurt people. Some of you are parents and you, you hurt your kids deeply because of the sin in your life, because of the broken places that you've never the wounds that you've never allowed God to comfort you in. you've never allowed him to heal in your life and you hurt people that you work with you hurt you've hurt people in this church. And you kind of cavalierly say, well, yeah, I've had a rough past. Well, you need to get healing for that. You don't just get past it. You don't forget it. You get restoration. You get healing for that. Have you ever noticed that that as people get older, there's kind of a, a fork in the road with this. As they get older, they either get really sweet or they really get... Angry, they they don't stay kind of the same or neutral. They get really tender. They get better, or, or a harshness kind of comes into their life because the nature of sin in all of us is to bring sorrow and pain. And when whether you're lost or whether you're saved, when you reject Christ, who is who is the healer. Going to explain that this morning and God willing next week. When you reject him and what he can do in your life, then he cannot heal those, those broken pieces in your life. Now, when Jesus walked on this earth and he ministered, he did some amazing things. Whenever he taught, it was amazing. As a leader, he was amazing. Whenever he preached, uh, he was amazing. Everything that the Lord Jesus did he, was just phenomenal. He, he made an impact. I think about. I think it's in Luke eleven. You don't have to look there. But the Bible says, I think it's in verse one, where that when the disciples heard him pray, they came to him, and said, "Lord, teach us to pray." And even the way he prayed. I think about that. I mean, if anybody heard me pray, would they come to me and say, "Rick, would you would you teach me to pray?" Would you teach me to pray? Everything that Jesus did was amazing. In John chapter 7 and verse 46, uh, the Bible says the officers answered and they're speaking about the Lord Jesus. And the Bible says, "Never man spake like this man." Speaking about him. Never man spake like this man. Nobody ever talked like Jesus. He, he's unbelievable. And then in Mark chapter 7 and verse 37. And we're beyond measure astonished saying. Watch this. He hath done. Look at this. All things well. Everything he did. He did it well. Now, this is not a message on excellence. This is beyond that and includes that. But everything he did, he he just did it well. And then it talks about his healing ministry. He, He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. So it's impossible when you read the Gospels about the ministry of Jesus and the life of Jesus to read about the fact that he was a healer. And that's where I want you to look in, in Matthew 4. I ask you to turn there and you may want to underline some things there. Matthew chapter 4, look at verse 23. And uh, notice these verbs that describe the ministry of Jesus. Matthew four twenty three, And Jesus went about all Galilee. I've been here in this region, actually, when I went to Israel. Here's the first one, Teaching. That, that was his dominant ministry. It's used more often than anything. He had a teaching ministry. Teaching in their synagogues and preaching. He was a preacher. And here's the content of the message, the gospel of the kingdom. In healing, I have these marked. Teaching, preaching, and healing. All manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. That was kind of his his ministry. Teaching, preaching, and healing. That's what he did. Now what happened when, when he did that? This is sad, but it was a reality, and it's still true today. And his fame went throughout all Syria. Now I'm going to misread the text. And they brought unto Jesus all people to hear the truth. That's not what it says, is it? They brought unto him all sick people. Now, why did they do that? Because were they interested in in the teaching ministry or the preaching ministry? Were were they interested in, in getting help for their soul? No. They wanted help for their body. Now, that's not wrong. I'm going to talk to you about that this morning. That's not wrong. But it's not the greater priority. But that's what we seek after. We're still the same. And they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse. That's the old English word. We get the word diverse from it. We put an E on it. All types of diseases and torments. Boy, that's true. Disease will torment you. I have a friend, uh, it's a doctor. And he told me one time, he said, Rick, he said, it's no accident. He said, the word. Disease literally means dis-ease. You're at dis-ease. You're not at ease. And there, there are torments with it. And the Bible here says he was famous for this. He wasn't famous for... Now, yeah, with some people he was. There was a remnant. But his fame was, hey, this guy will get rid of your, of your torment, your physical torment. And those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. He healed them of what? Of these physical problems. Now, I love this because Jesus loved people. And I want you to understand something. He cares about your physical ailments. Some of you either have a physical problem, or you've had one, or somebody in your family has one. And God cares about those things. The Lord Jesus does. And we just read that fame went throughout all Syria. Look at the next verse. And there followed him great multitudes of people. Don't ask you a question based on what we just read. Why were they following him? Well, they, they weren't following him because of what he taught and what he preached. They, they were following him based on what he did for them to make them feel better. Look, look around you today. I thank God for who's here. We love you. Remember, years ago, I've told you about this. It's been a long time. There was a famous healer uh, that came to Huntsville in the seventies. Very, very well known. He was a charlatan, and uh, it's been well documented, both morally and a lot of other ways. Uh, one of my kids recently sent me a uh, something an email about one of the clowns. I said, Dad, can you believe this? And I really didn't go into it, but I'm thinking, oh, absolutely. If he only knew some some of the things that I know about these guys, yeah, I believe that more. So I went I went to hear this guy, and I said way up in the top of the Von Braun Civic Center. It used to be the Von Braun Civic Center, but now. Yeah. And you know how that thing shaped. So I went up in the very top, kind of the teardrop. So nobody would see me. Now, if I'd have known better, I wore a baseball cap or a hoodie look looked like a gangster or sunglasses or something. A wig. But I didn't do that because I thought, well, nobody's going to know me. So I sat way up top. And I took one of my buddies with me. I said, now, I need you to go with me. I need some help. So we sit up there. And, and so good. So far, so good. Nobody knows me. I snuck in here. Finally, I hear somebody say, "Hey, Rick." I'm saying, "Oh, call oh, Lord!" You know, the last thing I wanted to be was get caught in there. So, sure enough, here here we go. And you know, you put the quarter in, the show starts. And I know some of you are saying, "Preacher, you sound you sound cynical." That's not like it. Yeah, yeah, I, I was cynical, and you would be too after you heard and saw some of the things I did. And then they before they ever got to what was called the preaching the the evangelists got up and so called evangelists there was no good news and took the offering and there were very poor people there I would say 60 over 60% over half the crowd were very poor people you could tell and He said now <clears throat> if if you're going to give $1000 he made his, he he spent 30 minutes on this I guarantee you I want you to stand up. And he he made his pitch. And boy, he berated the people. I saw this. This is firsthand. Now, if you can give $750, I want you. And he went all the way down. He said, now, we got down to $5. Because it took him a long time to fleece the people. He says, now... If you can give five dollars, some of you haven't stood. If you give five dollars, I want you to think because if you won't give five dollars, God won't do anything for you. I was so angry, but then then I, my heart was filled with delight because the healing time came. How many of you are old Huntsville people? Raise your hand. Okay, this won't mean anything to the rest of you, but those of you raise your hand, you will enjoy this. The healing time came and I saw Marvin Pogue in line. Marvin Pogue was a little bit crazy. And uh, I remember I saw him in a a store one time across from my dad. And he he was in there. And uh, he'd come in Daddy's shop some, so we knew him. And he went back and he bought um, hot dogs and he opened them up. He ate all of them. And he sat down in the chair, and he rolled them on the floor, and the dust on the floor, and he ate them. He was crazy. He did some other stuff, too. He was just crazy. So he got in line, and apparently they hadn't vetted him. I thought, this is great. I'm so glad I came tonight. I really hadn't planned on telling you this, but I'm already in it. So So he got there, and I'm thinking, God, thank you so much. This is worth being identified here with by this lady that knew me. And so uh this little short chubby guy that was an evangelist. And uh he came up to do the healing part, put his hand on him, and and Marvin was a big man, big, strong, powerful guy. <laughs> he put he pushed on him and he just stood there like a rock. <laughs> 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 Nothing happened. Because you know, you're supposed to fall back and all that stuff. Nothing happened. And I'm thinking, what he's going to do? He said, well, no, that didn't work. We'll just give him another zap. (laughs) Nothing happened again. Get him off the stage. Get him off the stage. I enjoyed that part of it. But, anyhow, (laughs) meanwhile, back at the ranch, I told you all that because that place was packed. There wasn't, a, there wasn't a seat in there. And that guy went home with a lot of money. We haven't done any of that this morning. You haven't been berated. You haven't been guilt tripped. Nobody's twisted your arm. We have a very simple service. We sang about Jesus, we've lifted Jesus, we have opened the Word of God. And we're we're teaching the truth. It's just it's like apples and oranges. It's just black and white. It's just different colors. It's just totally different. And and that's what Jesus did. He he preached. He taught. And he healed. But people were interested in one aspect of the ministry. Help me with my my problem, especially my pain. And, and by the way. God I want to say this God is interested in your pain Now look at Luke 4 look at verse 18 Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 Watch this Luke 4:18 I'm sorry verse 15 Luke 4:15 And Jesus taught There he goes again see He taught in their synagogue being glorified of all and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Now, watch this. I have this underlined. And as his custom was. What does that mean? His habit. Now, did you know Jesus had habits? What was his habit? He went into the synagogue. You know what that means? Jesus had a habit of going to church. Jesus was faithful to church. That was their church in that day. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up for to read. This is when he began his ministry, the first sermon he ever preached. And they asked him to preach, which was what they did. If they had a guest, they would invite him to speak. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now, the text we're going to read is from Isaiah 61. And here's what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and this was fulfilled in him. Because he hath anointed me, he's saying, Jesus said, my Father has anointed me. What's this? To preach the gospel to the poor. Not to people that can give a thousand dollars. He has sent me, now pay attention to this, to the verbiage, to heal the broken hearted. Now in Matthew 4, he was healing bodies, now he's healing broken hearted people. He did both. He's healing broken hearted people. He's healing the souls of people. To preach deliverance to the captives, this is people that are in bondage to sin recovering of sight to the blind, to preach deliverance to them. Now pay attention to this, I have this underlined. Those that are bruised, those that are bruised. You ever been bruised? So Jesus not only healed people of their physical needs, people that were blind, crippled, that had high fevers in Mark 1, leprosy, which I, I read an article last week that that's coming back, I think, in California. It's amazing. Leprosy is coming back in America. People with deformed hand, de- hands, deaf people. He even raised people from the dead. But He, he not only healed bodies, He also healed souls. And these spectacular television ministries which they're kind of getting on the back channels and have not done gospel preaching ministries any favors and especially preachers to the point that i don't tell people i'm a preacher anymore used to it was a kind of an honorable occupation but now it's kind of like uh well i'm mention some occupations <laughs> but i remember i'll mention one okay Years ago, we had a, a fellow that his mind, wouldn't, he didn't have a full mind, I'll say. And uh, he had a prayer request one Wednesday night. And he said something about negative about used car salesmen. We had a guy in our church that sold used cars. He was sitting in the back. And I knew the guy. He's a good guy. And this guy said something negative. And, I, and, and the, my friend that sold cars, he was really offended by this. I kind of looked at him and winked at him and smiled, you know, like, hey, calm down he doesn't have a full mind it's okay but there are certain occupations where people just you know you have to kind of prove your trust and and, and that's what these guys have done for people that that are in the ministry I remember when uh, my grandmother who died when she was 60 years old uh, my mom and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago how that she's outlived her family uh she's eighty one and I've outlived my my uh, grandparents on her her mom and dad. I've outlived them and uh, I'm catching up on my grandparents on my father's side now, but having said all that, uh, she got cancer and when she was let's see six fifty four years old and I was back in her bedroom I was home from college. And she and I were very, very close. I was the oldest grandchild, and and so I grew up with her, very close to her. She always called me son. And she said, son, have you ever heard of, and she mentioned one of these televangelists, and he was a charlatan. I said, well, yes, I've heard of him. She said, I was watching him on TV about six months ago. He's one of these guys that would send out prayer cloths and said, Now if you'll send me fifty dollars, God will send you a miracle. You know, you ever get these letters that say, If you if you will send me, if you will sow your seed of faith with me, if you will sow your seed of faith of one hundred dollars with me, God will send you one thousand dollars. Now if he really believed that, he'd be sending you a hundred dollars, wouldn't he? He'd stop and think about that. But he doesn't really believe that. And so, so this fella was not an honest man. He didn't preach the gospel. I'm talking about my grandmother. She said, have you ever heard of him? I said, yeah. She said, I was watching him a few months ago, six months ago or so. And she, her body was suffering. She would get chemotherapy. And she had literally worn a callus on her finger from biting on it. She'd sit in a chair from the pain watch TV. And she bite on her finger from the pain. She never complained, but she bite on her finger. Till she had a callus. And she said, I don't know what to do. She said and she knew I was studying for the ministry. She had a lot of confidence in me. She said I'm thinking about going to see him but I don't know what to do. What do you think about it? My heart my heart was so tender because I'd seen her suffer and she wanted to live a long life and she was in her 50s and the cancer was just eating her up and this man had made promises that he could not keep, that were not in the Bible. And she said, what do you think? And I knew it was a very tender moment, and I, I couldn't just stand there and say, well, you know, real quickly dismiss it. And we had a little conversation there in her bedroom. And we talked about healing and what the Bible says. And she said, when we finished, she said, well, you know what? She said, that's what I thought. She said, I'm, I'm not going to go see him. I'm going to trust God. And I hugged her and kissed her. I want to talk to you this morning about Jesus, a healer. Let me give you one, one thought today and a couple of ideas under that from the Word of God. And then finish this next Sunday. I want to help you this morning. Here's the thought I want to give you this morning. And I hope, I hope you'll listen. Number one, Jesus can heal your body. I say number one, that's the only idea I'm going to give you because next week I'm going to build on that. But I've got to give you this idea this morning. Jesus can heal your body. Now we've already seen that. I just read in Matthew 4. And there are other places in the gospel. You can just read through the gospels and see that where Jesus healed people. But healing was not unique to the ministry of Jesus. In the Old Testament, God healed people. There was a man named King Abimelech when Abraham lied about Sarah. And the Bible says that God shut up the wombs of the household of Abimelech. And they couldn't have children. He couldn't produce children. And nobody could have kids. And there was a judgment sent on on their household. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 20, verses 17 and 18, Abraham prayed unto God, and he was praying not for him, but for King Abimelech. He repented of his sin, confessed his lying. He prayed unto God. Now watch this. And God healed Abimelech. Look at that. This is Old Testament. God healed Abimelech and his wife, his maidservants, and they bear children. Excuse me, for the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Really it was because of Abraham and how he had lied, but Sarah was in the house, and that's what it means. But God God did a healing for them. There was a godly king in the nation of Israel named Hezekiah. And God sent his prophet Isaiah, said, I want you to go tell Hezekiah, he's been faithful to me, that he's going to die. And he has an illness and he's sick. But this illness is unto death. See, there are some illnesses that are unto death. And we don't know what those are. We know something. We usually we get sick and we just think, well, I'll get well. But one day you're going to get sick and you're not going to get well. Aren't you glad you came to church today get encouraged? One day you're going to get sick and you're not going to get well. And Hezekiah got one of those and God sent him the prophet because he loved Hezekiah. He was a good, godly king. And here's what he said in 2 Kings 20. He said, I want you to set your house in order. Well, when Isaiah left the house, Hezekiah began to weep. And he said, God, he said, I don't want to die. And he began to plead with him. In 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse 5, God told the prophet Isaiah, He said, turn again, turn around. You left his bedroom. He's leaving the house, the palace. He said, "Turn, turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I love this. I love this. I have seen thy tears church God sees your tears you ever cry at night maybe it's not for your problems it's for it's for the suffering of somebody a friend God sees your tears he says behold I will heal thee I will heal thee and he did and he gave him 15 more years of life so in the Old Testament, God healed people. Now, the same thing is true today that was true in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, they were more interested in physical healing than they were in garnering the truth and living the truth. And even in the church, when we love Jesus, we're still more interested in in the temporal and taking care, and I think this is why God allows us to have some of these things to turn our eyes toward the eternal. For example, the average prayer meeting, the average prayer request, concerns physical problems more than spiritual needs. If if you come to a prayer meeting and you take prayer requests, well, and, and I'm not mocking this, okay? I'm not mocking this, is just a reality. So when I say this, I'm not making fun of this, this Is just... You take a prayer request. It's, uh, yes, I want you to pray for my Aunt Sally. She, she heard her toe the other day in the bathtub. Okay. Yes. Uh, I heard about my neighbor. Their baby is sick. Yes. Uh, I got a second cousin over here, and, and they got a doctor's appointment. Don't ask you a question. Is God concerned about this stuff? Yeah, we ought to be. But if you were to kind of tally, you don't do this because you end up being a legalist, but, but but it's a problem. If you begin to tally the kind of, the kind of requests and put them in categories of spiritual, I mean, how, how many people say, well, I want you to pray for me. My heart is cold. Uh, pray for me I, I, that I will have more opportunities to witness at work. Pray for my children that they would have an obedient spirit at school. Pray for me that I would receive the Word of God more. Someone said this, we pray more often for saints, listen to this, we pray more often for saints not to go to heaven than we do for sinners not to go to hell. I mean, they're fixing to go to heaven. Oh God, give them them more years. Now, God can heal people today, and He does, and He wants to sometimes. But it's not God's will to heal everybody. Some of the finest people, and there's a reason for it, that you will ever meet are people that have suffered. There's a reason for that. Now, when Jesus was on the cross, part of the atonement, part of the reason that He died, had to do... With sickness, but it also had to do with suffering. Now, look at Isaiah chapter, it's on the screen. Isaiah chapter 53, look at verse 4. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely He, and the He, the personal pronouns here, speak of Christ. He hath borne our griefs. Have you been grieving? Where where did He bear this? Where hath He borne this? on the cross. He bore your grievings. When you stand by the open grave, when you walk into the funeral home, when you walk out of the hospital for the last time, leaving the body of your loved one, he bears your griefs. Look at it. He, at Calvary, he carried your sorrows, he carries your griefs and your sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him, stricken, smitten of God. That's why God, God allowed Him to die for these things. Afflicted, but He was wounded on the cross for our transgressions. He was afflicted and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. So the Bible says, and with His stripes, watch this, we are healed we're healed so on the cross now when you hear a faith healer on the cross he died for your healing well he did he came to heal me of my griefs of my sorrows and my sins and you can put your sicknesses in there too but let, let's don't let's not elevate one against the other and my sicknesses includes the full atonement one day when i meet christ now if he wants to forg- if he wants to cleanse me and to heal me of those things in this lifetime by the way a lot of people point to lazarus and say well look at lazarus you know god raised him from the dead well i'll ask you a question where's lazarus now he died again didn't he I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just saying that, yeah, he, he was raised from the dead, but he did die that second time. You see, the sin uh, of, of death, the result of sin is death, and it still works in our bodies. And so don't you listen to anybody that gives you a message words it's a preacher or a book or a tract or... Someone that talks to you and says, well, you would just be healed if you just had enough faith. That's what your problem is. And you're going over to that church and they're telling you wrong things. If you just had enough faith, God would heal you. No, God has different purposes for different people. Speaking of Lazarus, John chapter 11 and verse 4 When Jesus heard that, that Lazarus was sick, he said to Martha and Mary, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. This sickness is for the glory of God. Whoa, 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 whoa. time out. You can be sick and die for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. A man was born blind, John chapter 9, verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which is blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? Because this is what they thought. Well, if bad things happen, somebody did something wrong. Master, who did sin? This man, his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So nobody sinned. He didn't sin. His mom and dad didn't sin. I am not punishing these people. And by the way, this man had been blind since he was born, and Jesus gave him his sight. But he grew up blind so that God had a higher purpose for him. Now, what is your problem? Somebody that you love or your child's problem? Or your friend's problem. And you're kind of. Struggling this thing out with God. It's okay. He can take it. It's okay to question. When Jesus was on the cross. He said. My God. My God. Why? Has thou forsaken me? The suffering became so intense. Paul had a. Co worker that was very valuable to him. And Paul, Paul was an apostle. He had the ability to heal people. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 20, the Bible says, Trophimus, have I left at Miletus sick? I've left him sick. Paul was an apostle. He had the ability, he had the power to heal people. Now get this here's the vessel through which God heals people, and He's sick. The vessel that has the strength is the weak one. In Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, Paul said, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And that's a metaphor, but don't, don't let it... The thorn in the flesh is not just this little thing like on a rose bush which oh that hurt It'll go away it really means like a stake that impales you this this hurts the messenger of satan i've been meditating on this satan meant for it to destroy you did you know when you have a thorn in the flesh that that satan talks to you and there are messages that come to you the messenger of satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted of a measure. For this thing, this thorn in the flesh, I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. Here's Paul, the one that wrote about the amazing grace of God. And here's the one that said, You know, I'm thankful for everything. And he didn't say the first time, God, thank you for this. No, he said, I don't want this. I, I want rid of this. He said it two t- three times. And this was not little tiny prayer, these were seasons of prayer because he remembered them. And he, and he wrestled with God over it. God, I, I don't want this. This is painful. And I believe, here's what he said one of the things the Bible doesn't say God, my ministry is limited. I can't travel the way I want to. I can't do the things I want to do. I want to depart from me. And he said unto me, God said, No, my grace is sufficient for thee, because in your, with your thorn, my strength is made perfect in weakness. You're, you're better with your thorn than you are without it. Now, he never felt that way, but that's taken by faith let me show you one other passage, because this is the healing passage. In James chapter 5 and verse 13. James chapter 5 and verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? That means, are you going through a difficult time? Are you having a hard time financially? Are you discouraged? Let him pray. Pray about him. Is any merry? You having a wedding anniversary? Some good things happen in your family? You get a promotion at work? Let him sing. I mean, all all of life is not about affliction. Sometimes it's merry. There's hills and there's valley. Let him sing psalms. There's another category. Is any sick among you? Are any of you sick? The word sick there is a fascinating word. It means fatigued. It means worn out from an illness is any sick among you do you have a disease let him call for the elders This is interesting don't go to the civic center don't go up in front of a crowd you don't need an evangelist this is a very quiet thing let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord anointing him with oil I remember when I was ordained to the ministry in 1981 and this question came up. And I remember Elmer Towns asked it. And I said, well, I said, as I understand that passage, I said, there's two interpretations. I said, one is the oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And we're acknowledging, you know, God is a part of the healing. I said the other interpretation is that olive oil was used. It was a trad- traditional uh, medicine. It had medicinal value. It still is over in Israel. But particularly in that day, and the word anointing there means to rub. So what basically what they're saying is, uh, I want you to pray over them, and while you're praying for them, give them an aspirin, anoint them with oil. So they're not divorcing medicine from from prayer. They're saying do both. Doctor Tan said, "Well." That's exactly correct About in terms of the interpretations. There are two, two, ways, two ways to look at it. You say, well, preacher, what do you believe? Well, I do both, whatever people want. If they want literally to anoint with oil, I do that. But I also believe that it can mean anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. God, I'm a- acknowledging that you are the great physician and you made doctors and you made medicine. But we're trusting you that you can work through supernaturally through these natural means. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up until, and if he hath committed sins, apparently this man had sinned the reason he was sick, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that they may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. So they'll kind of park on the. you got to have faith. Don't you l- listen to me very carefully. Please listen. It's not the strength of your faith. It's the object of your faith. The Bible says that a mustard seed of faith can move a mountain. It's not the strength of your faith. There are degrees of faith. In Mark chapter 9, a man came to Jesus and he said... My son is really sick. And Jesus said, well, would you believe? He said, I believe, but, you, but would you help my unbelief? And Jesus healed his son. You think if Jesus would heal somebody that said, Lord, help my unbelief, that he would heal you? If you didn't have perfect faith? I've, I've heard and known people. I'm thinking about a man. I'm not going to mention his name. He's a good man. He's a great man. that had perfect faith and said, God's going to heal me of his brain tumor. I know he is. And he made a very bold declaration because that's what faith does. But he didn't. Now, does that mean that he was wrong to do? I, I don't know. But But... I remember we couldn't have kids. I don't know why. I don't know if the ministry I was in was stressful somewhat. I I just don't know. I have no idea. Of course, those of you that know us, we have seven children on earth. We have seven in heaven. We were uh, in a meeting and uh, I heard a, a... Man I told Paula, I said, I just feel led to have him to pray for us. I know him. So ask God to help us have kids. Would you go up there with me? She said, yeah, this is after the service. We waited around. I said, hey, would you pray for us? We, we, we can't have kids. We've been married for almost four years. And he said, Yes. And he did. And within about four, within a year, we had Jeremiah. Now, it wasn't like we walked out and said, Well, we're, we're going to have it. By, now, listen carefully. By our willingness to do what we did was a step of faith. But I know other people that have believed greater than we did that don't have children. You see, there's a mystery to this. Are you reading me? There's a mystery to this. And for any preacher or any counselor, or any Christian, anybody to come, so I have the answer to this. No, you don't. God is bigger than your box. And, and our, our job is just is to trust the Lord even when you don't understand him. I, I, I beg God, God, please heal my grandmother. I prayed and prayed and prayed. I fasted and fasted and fasted, but he didn't. And she passed away. I have kidney stones. I was at the doctor six months ago, and he called me back and he said, "I need to show you something." He said, "You got your kidneys have stones, both of them." Show me big X-ray. He said, "You're a stone maker." And uh, so he put me on some stuff and so forth and so those of you who had kidney stones you could tell you can feel that dull ache when it starts here. It's, oh man I got a stone. so I started going to the doctor because I didn't want that thing to hit and if those of you that had them you don't want it to hit so I'm, I'm gonna preempt to as best I can. So I'm going to the doctor and God convicted me. I pulled off the road and I said, God, I haven't even asked you to help me. I'm going to the doctor and I haven't even asked you to help me. God, would you heal me of this kidney stone? Would you remove me of of this suffering, of this pain? I don't want to have this pain and I don't need the expense of it. Would Would you help me? And show favor on me, would you do this for me? And uh, and he did. Fifteen minutes later, I mean the pain was gone. It was gone. There have been other times in the throes of the stone, I mean in the pain. Oh God, and more screaming where he didn't. I pled with God to, to relieve me of this disease. Paul prayed three times. I prayed more than that. I asked the Lord for a particular something not related to my disease. I said, God, would you, would you grant this? I know this is your will. I know this is your will. And every day I prayed for it, And it didn't happen. 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 And then one day I just forgot about it. And then the next day, I just forgot about it, the next day. And then about six months later, I haven't prayed for that in six months. And you know why I didn't pray about it anymore? I just felt like there's no use. And I was so convicted that, why did I stop? I know this is the Lord's will. Because I just got tired of asking. And then I started praying again. Lord, would you... Would you grant this unto me? Would you please help me? I wonder this morning, do you, do you have something in your body? Or does your friend or a loved one have something that you need to pray for them about? John Piper had prostate cancer. And the night before he uh, had surgery, he wrote this. I'm not going to read the whole thing to him. I'm just going to read a little section. About two minutes. I'm going to let you go. But uh, my brother-in-law, Paula's brother, uh, she was up there with me this weekend. He has cancer on his tongue. It's in his throat. It's in his lymph nodes. And he's going to have surgery and so forth. She was with him. I sent this to him. He said, he sent me a note. He said, Rick, I printed that out. And I put it up in my workspace so I can read it every day. It's called Don't Waste Your Cancer. He said, I write this on the eve of prostate surgery. I believe in God's power to heal by miracle and by medicine. It is right and good to pray for both kinds of healing. Cancer is not wasted when it is healed by God. He gets the glory. Not to pray for healing may waste your cancer. But healing is not God's plan for everyone. There are many other ways to waste your cancer. You will waste your cancer if you seek comfort from your odds rather than from God. The design of God and your cancer is not to train you in the rationalistic human calculation of odds. The world gets comfort from their odds, not Christians. You will waste your cancer if you refuse to think about death. We all die. If Jesus postpones his return, not to think about what it will be like to leave this life and meet God is folly. Ecclesiastes seven two says it is better to go into the house of mourning, M O U R N grief, that is a funeral, than to go into the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. How can you lay it to heart if you don't think about it? Psalm ninety twelve says, Teach us to number our days that so we may get a heart of wisdom number of your days means thinking about how few there are, and that they will end. How will you get a heart of wisdom if you refuse to think about this? What a waste if we do not think about death. You will waste your cancer if you think that beating cancer means staying alive rather than cherishing Christ. Satan's and God's designs so and your cancer are not the same. Satan designs to destroy your, lo- your love for Christ. God designs to deepen your love for Christ. Cancer does not win when you die. It wins if you fail to cherish Christ. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. Philippians 1.21 You will waste your cancer if you spend too much time reading about cancer, not enough time reading about God. It is not wrong to know about cancer, but the lure to know more and more, and the lack of zeal to know God more and more, is symptomatic of unbelief. Cancer is meant to waken us to the reality of God. What a waste of cancer if we read day and night about cancer and not about God. You will waste your cancer if you let it drive you into solitude instead of deepen your relationships with manifest affection. When Epaphroditus brought the gifts to Paul, sent by the Philippian church, he became ill and almost died. Paul tells the Philippians, Epaphroditus has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. What an amazing response. It does not say that they were distressed that he was ill, but that he was distressed because they heard that he was ill. That is the kind of heart God is aiming to create with cancer, a deeply affectionate, caring heart for people. Don't waste your cancer by retreating into yourself. You will waste your cancer if you grieve as those who have no hope. There is grief at death. Even for the believer who dies, there is temporary loss, loss of body, loss of loved ones here, loss of earthly ministry. But the grief is different. It is permeated with hope. You will waste your cancer if you treat sin as casually as before. Are your besetting sins as attractive as they were before you had cancer? If so, you're wasting your cancer. Cancer is designed to destroy the appetite for sin, pride, greed, lust, hatred, unforgiveness, impatience, laziness, procrastination. All these are adversaries that cancer is meant to attack. Don't just think of battling against cancer. Think of battling with cancer. All these things are worse enemies than cancer. Don't waste the power of cancer to crush these foes. Let the presence of eternity Make the sins of time look as futile as they really are. And then finally, you will waste your cancer if you fail to use it as a means of witness to the truth and glory of Christ. Christians are never anywhere by divine accident. There are reasons for why we end up where we do. There will be an opportunity to bear witness to Christ. Here's a golden opportunity to show that He is worth more than life and don't waste it. Now... You could put, don't waste your blank. Don't waste your getting demoted at work. Don't waste your prodigal child. Don't waste your disease. I mean, you fill in the blank. Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste it. Jesus can heal your body, but he may not. But it's okay to ask for you, for your kids, and have a heart full of faith. Heavenly Father, I pray today for my friends. Lord, I I do not preach this message casually. Uh, There are people here who maybe came to church today and it wasn't easy just to walk here. pray that you would have mercy on us. I pray that you would help us to trust you, help our unbelief. I pray for those that are maybe questioning, maybe bitter, maybe, maybe angry, because they don't understand why you do things the way you do. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, help us to rest. Because you're a good father. You're a kind father. You do all things well. As we leave today, Father, I pray that you would bring, help us to bring our brokennesses to you. Our broken body, our broken dreams. All the broken pieces. So you can heal them. You may not heal them the way that we expect you to. But you will comfort us and strengthen us. I pray you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen.